I remember that phone call like it was yesterday. 3 a.m., the phone rings. You ever received one of those phone calls in the middle of the night? It just shocks you awake. And I remember it clearly. I grab my cell phone. I look at it. I see the caller ID. I see who it is that was calling. And my heart dropped. Uh, I knew who it was, and I knew exactly why they were calling. So I, I called them back. Or I, or I answered the phone, rather. And I knew the words she was going to say. I dreaded them, and as she spoke them, my worst fear came true. And she simply said, He's gone. And I simply responded, I'll be there in a few minutes. I hung up the phone. By this point, my wife was awake. She put her hand on me, and she said, It's true. I said, yeah. I, I gathered myself together, got dressed, kissed her goodbye. She grabbed my hand and she prayed, Lord, you're faithful. Got in my car, drove across town. The police and the coroner were already there. I walked into the house, a grieving family, with tears and hugs. We greeted each other. And then I went into the back room where the hospice nurse was still holding his hand. I gathered the family together around that bed and we prayed. And I simply prayed the prayer that I only knew to be true from my own experience. God, you are. God, you are, and I trust you. We said amen, and I helped them with Andrew, a 16-year-old boy, lost his fight to cancer. Three months earlier, we had gotten the news the first day of a missions trip. We were in El Salvador, and I was with his two best friends. His two best friends had brought Andrew to our student ministry and invited him nearly nine months before that. And nine months ago, he had accepted Christ into his life. You see, Andrew had battled cancer as a, as a young child, and he'd been cancer-free for nearly 13 years. And I had to deliver this news that the cancer was back and there was no hope. Darcy had texted me while we were in El Salvador. Three to six months, they said. And so that night, we went to prayer. And for three hours, we prayed. We asked God. We believed God. As we did for the next three months. The reality of God is not that he can heal because I believe he can. I've seen him heal. I've seen him do miracles. The reality of the promise of God is that he's greater than the miracle you're asking for.
And that's hard because sometimes we feel like we're letting God off the hook if he doesn't heal somebody. We say things like, well, it wasn't his will. or And that's a hard pill to swallow. The truth of, of what I prayed that night, God, you are, was a reality to me because it wasn't but three short years before that we had lost our own son. And sitting in the hospital room with my wife, holding her hands, kneeling in front of her hospital bed, I said, this is the moment that we decide either God is or he isn't. You ever had that moment? God either is or he isn't. He's either God in the tragedy and the triumph, or he's not God at all. And that's the moment we prayed, God, you are. God, you are. The writer of Hebrews, as we dive into chapter 11 today in our final installment of He is Greater, unfolds this reality for us. And he paints it for this Jewish audience that he's writing to. He paints it in terms that they understand. The previous chapters, he's relating who Jesus is and why Jesus is greater than the old way, the Old Testament. He's not saying that the Old Testament was useless or unneeded because it actually points to Jesus. And so he's bringing these Jewish Christians along who want to walk away from their faith for many reasons. Persecution, hard times, sin. And he spends these first 10 chapters saying, don't walk away from your faith. Don't give up. Jesus is greater. Here's the reality. And he's painting this picture over and over again for them. And he's relating it to the Old Testament. And so in, at the end of chapter 10, where we're going to start today, and you can follow along on your version live app, or you can follow along on the screens, the writer begins to bring to life what faith really is. And he's just finished in chapter 10 saying, look, let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, right? Let's not let go of it. And he says, don't keep on sinning because if you keep on sinning, you're like trampling God under your feet over and over again. And you actually demonstrate that you are under the old law instead of the new law of grace. So he closes chapter 10 and then into chapter 11. Now I need you to kind of put your seatbelt on here for a minute because we're about to get down and dirty with the scripture, okay? Okay. I'm going to take a drink of water because I'm about to read from chapter 10, verse 36, and we're going to read till chapter 12, verse 2. I think it's important. Yum. 75 cents. It's important because the scripture unfolds exactly what you need to hear this morning. And there's a storyline, so we're going to follow it this morning. So if you've got your Bible... Keep it open. Got your app. Your screensaver might can't come on, so just you know, do whatever you need to do. So here we go. Chapter 10, starting in verse 36. You, knew, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then he quotes the Old Testament. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, referring to Jesus. Verse 38. And, again, the Old Testament, he says, 
But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, which God spoke well of his off- when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6, and without God, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And all the guys said, amen. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his sons, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead himself, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the Israeli spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received their dead, their, back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Deep breath. It's pretty amazing when you read through that. It's sort of like going to Canton at the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is what the writer is doing here. He's looking at the all-stars of faith that these Jewish uh, Christians would go, yeah, I know that dude. My grandpa used to talk about him. This is the Hall of Fame. You know, guys, when you sit around and say, yo, man, I remember when Joe Montana played football. I was a big Niners fan back in the day. There was nobody like Roger Craig, Dwight Clark, Jerry Rice. I know you young folks are like, Who? But these Jewish Christians would have known exactly who these heroes of the faith were. And the writer is laying it out for them. Not only is he defining faith, but he's giving them the example of what faith looked like. At the end of chapter 10, he lays it out for them. When he says, keep persevering, and I'm going to tell you what perseverance looks like because here are some people who have persevered. And he says, the righteous ones will live by faith. And if they shrink back, I will not be, dis- I will not be pleased with them. And then he says, but we're not, the, we're not ones who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are the ones who persevere and are saved. These heroes of faith were not people who would shrink back. Shrink back. You ever shrink back in your own faith? 
know what I'm talking about. You, you believe God might be calling you to do something. You're not real certain. And so you just kind of go, well, I'll just, we'll see. Maybe. I don't know. And you just start shrinking back. Maybe it's, it's persecution for your faith. People giving you a hard time. And you just kind of shrink back. Maybe nobody will notice. I'll just kind of fade into the background. I'll just keep shrinking back and stepping on stuff. Just shrink back a little more. <laughs> but the author says, we, we, we're not the ones who shrink back. And then he lists a bunch of people who didn't shrink back. And he's saying to this Jewish audience, don't be a shrinker backer. <laughs> I made that word up, by the way. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl who shrinks back simply because things got hard. Because you couldn't say no to the pleasures of this world. Don't shrink back. He says, don't shrink back. Walk in sureness of faith. And then he goes on to define faith. And he says, this is what faith is. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and the assurance of of what we do not see. Another translation says, it's being sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we do not see. These two words, these four words, if you will, are words that give us a thought of what faith is. It's being sure, certain, positively knowing that what I believe is true. It's living it's this confidence that we have. And it's faith not just placed in sort of, I think when people think about faith, it's sort of this sort of uh, fairy tale-ish type of positive thinking. Like if I just believe positively enough and I just mentally picture it, it'll happen. That's not faith. Faith is being sure of God's character and his promises. It's belief in God's characters, character and his promises, in God's character and who he is, who he says he is, that it's true. You believe in his character and you believe in his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. And it's faith in God's promises beyond just what he will do for you. The writer goes on later in 11, verse 6, he says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because those who come to God must, one, believe that he exists. Okay, that's a good place to start. God exists. 90% of Americans would probably agree with me. Most of you would agree with me. Most of your friends would agree with you that God exists. But faith is not believing that God simply exists somewhere in outer space and he, he looks down from above and goes, okay, there's people down there. James chapter 2 tells us that even the demons believe in God, that he exists, and they tremble. So you believe God exists. Good, you're on par with a demon. Good job. Second thing, you must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. 
he rewards those. There's this promise of something beyond what we can see or achieve on our own. He rewards those who earnestly or diligently, in some translations, seek him. Walking by faith must extend beyond my immediate circumstances. And so he brings about this picture of what faith looks like by listing all these heroes of faith. And so he lists Abraham and Moses and Rahab. And if you read the stories, which I wish we had time to break apart every story that he lists here, you realize these are not perfect people. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham, when he was faced with a tough choice, decided, you know what, honey? You're going to be my sister, not my wife, so they won't kill me for you because you are hot. And I don't want anybody to kill me because you're my wife. So you're going to be my sister. I'm a straight-up man right there. Right? Talk about shrinking back. Honey, you failed on that one. These are not perfect people people but they did not shrink back from the promise of God and in that scripture it's kind of confusing because it says they didn't receive what was promised I'll come again Abraham was promised a son Isaac whom he did receive and through Isaac the the promise to Abraham was that through Isaac Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore And then God says, sacrifice Isaac to me. I want to know that I have all your heart, that you worship me and not your son, not the son of the promise. Abraham says, all right. Sacrifices his son, almost. Puts him on the altar. And the writer says, kind of gets into Abraham's mind he says Abraham must have understood that God could raise his son from the dead so he's willing to take that step of faith because he was looking forward to the promise if God said over here that he was going to give me descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky and I I give him back my son God raise him from the dead it's got to But God says, you know what? Good job. You passed the test. I'll provide the sacrifice for the promise. Faith is looking beyond. It's looking forward to the promise. You see, when it says that didn't receive the promises, they didn't all receive the promises that they thought they deserved. They didn't receive the promise of a Messiah but they look forward to the promise that the Messiah Jesus was coming. He is the promise. If I could text it to you, it would be the promises, capital P, lower case letters following. But they were looking forward to the promise, all caps, exclamation point. Facebook and texters will know that at that point you're yelling at them, right? You ever get those texts? Why are you yelling at me through text? All caps, exclamation point, the promise is Jesus. They didn't know his name. They didn't know what he looks like, but they look forward to the promise, not just the promises. It says the world was not worthy of this. In fact, it says that they were looking forward to several passages near 13, 14 and 15. Talk about they're looking forward to a city whose builder and architect was God. They were aliens and strangers in a land. They weren't looking for that land. They were looking for a greater land, a heavenly one. 
It's saying that they understood that the promise was greater than any promise on this earth. And they understood that. They looked forward to the promise, to be in the presence of God, the Messiah, Jesus. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian apologists, right? Can we start with that second quote? Writes in his apologetic writings, writes this phrase. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Those longings that you have that nothing can seem to fulfill that only lead you into addiction and habits that you know you weren't made for. It's because you were made for another world and that longing can only be satisfied in that realm. If you read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, it really is a picture of his beliefs and his apologetics and especially in the book, The Last Battle, as Narnia literally fades away and the door shuts there, opened into this realm that you could only describe as heaven. Though eerily reminiscent of Narnia, it really was the reality beyond the skin of this world. And as the characters step forth into this new land, one of the characters says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. And he says to the other characters, come up, come further up, come further in. It was the reality of that world that made this world fade in comparison. We were made for another world. This world is not my home. And though these heroes of faith did not receive what was promised in a Messiah, the Messiah came, didn't he? And they received the promise. We have the advantage because the Messiah, the promise has come and we stand at this advantage and this is what the writer says, we're all made perfect because those who've gone before are now in the reality of Christ and they meet the promise face to face and us at the end of our lives, at the end of all time, we'll all be together. We'll all be standing with Jesus and go, yeah. We'll all stand there together with the saints that have gone before and all the saints in this room. We'll stand together in the reality of Jesus. And then writer goes on to say, this is why you need to persevere in your faith. These people knew what perseverance was. They've been through hard times. Read their stories. Daniel in the lion's den, three Hebrew children in a fiery furnace. Perseverance. Hard times. Chapter 12 starts out by saying this. He lists all those stories and why they were commended. By faith, they did all these things even though they didn't know the Messiah yet. They just acted on faith and obedience to Christ. Then chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can you get the picture of what a great cloud of witness, it, witnesses is? It's all these heroes of faith that have gone before, the ones he's listed. And they're at the edge of heaven, Peering down, I assume it's like a cloud. They just, you know, grab the edge of the cloud. And they're looking down, and they're lo- watching you and me, and they're going, 
Yeah, you see what he did? That was awesome. That was a face step right there. Here, I'll do it for this side too. And they're looking down and they're cheering us on and they're shouting our names and they're bumping shoulders with each other saying, look at that one. Look at him run. And then they're looking back at some of us and say, don't, don't, don't shrink back. Don't be a shrinker backer. In this room, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses too. Some of you have walked the road of faith for years. Some in this very church. You've set the pace. You've done great work. The cloud of witnesses that surround us now are not just up there. They're in this room. You've been faithful to the work God has called you to. And we sit here today and enjoy it because of those who've gone before. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So the reminder is, throw off everything that hinders you. If you're a runner, you throw it all off. Have you seen the skimpy shorts runners wear? Come on. They throw off everything that hinders. They wear skimpy shorts and t-shirts. Nothing's going to slow me down. I'm not going to carry any extra weight. So what's the burden you carry this morning that's too heavy for you that you think, oh, I'll just carry it one more mile? Let's just give it to Jesus. He'll take care of it for you. He's got your back. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so entangles. Why you got to mess around with sin anymore and the pleasures of this world? It's just a tangly mess because sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Throw it off. It's Jesus who is greater and gives us greater faith and this is what he's saying to him. These, these, this cloud of witnesses, all, this hall of fame, in the Jewish tradition, these are the, I mean, these are the people you look to And he's saying, these people are on the sideline cheering you on. Look at the goal. Look at the end of the race. It's Jesus who's standing at the end. Not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your forefathers whom you practically worship. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah who's standing at the end. I coach soccer. I coach little girls soccer. You can pray for me. (laughs) And when I scream from the sideline to, to my players and to my daughters, I'm coaching, I'm yelling, I'm encouraging, I'm running up and down the sideline. And I, I learned and had to teach our, our players, when I yell, don't look. Because our first game, I'm screaming and yelling and, and cheering them on, and they look at me and, no, 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 the goal, look at the goal, don't look at me. I'm just cheering you on. And this is what he's saying to the Jewish believers, don't look at them. Look at the goal. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the one who writes into existence the faith that you have. You can't, you can't, get, you can't create faith. You're unable to. I'm unable to. It's Jesus who authors in us the faith that we have. We can ask for it and we can step into it. We don't create it. We can grow it and nurture it. We can't create it. Jesus is the author. He writes it into existence, and he's the perfecter or pioneer. He blazed the trail for you to follow. So this is what the writer's saying. Run with perseverance. What's already marked out for you? Just follow him. Just follow him. You ever walk through deep snow with kids? Of course you haven't. You live in Missouri. Now, we have some snowstorms. And when my kids walk with me till we go to the sledding hill, they follow me. You know why? 
you're getting the picture, right? I'm blazing the trail with my big old boots. And when we got, remember that 24 inches we got a few years ago? Man, it was like up to here on Caitlin. She just getting my tracks. <laughs> Ain't no sweat in dad's tracks. She gets out of it, it's like, she falls over. Where's Caitlin? Where'd she go? We lost her. Just follow dad's tracks. Throw off everything. Look to Jesus. And it says he endured the cross. He, in, he scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the father. He endured it all. He is the greatest example. So fix your eyes on him. Don't get distracted. Faith is not just looking forward. Faith is taking another step. You know that uncertainty you face in life's decisions? Right? You all been there and it's like, um, that's what faith is. Just take another step. When you doubt, if your heart and eyes are fixed on God, just take another step. He'll meet you. I always pray, Lord, shut the doors of opportunities that you don't want me messing with, even if they're really good ones. Just shut the door on my face. It's okay. But just take another step. Take another step. Just keep swimming. Some of you got that. He gives this encouragement and warning through the rest of 12 and into 13. He says, when you face hard times, you need to take another step, persevere, because this is truly what you're called to do, and you will face hardships, you will face struggles. Okay, I don't need to tell you, that's the reality we live in. So he's saying, struggle well, deal with it in the correct manner. Take another step. Live by faith, not by sight. This is what that means. And he says, you will face these sufferings, but you haven't done so to the point of shedding your own blood. As you read into 12, he's referring to Christ. Christ who shed his blood, endure to that point. Then you've participated in what Christ has done. I want the band to to join me as we finish out our time together today. You know, this whole list of, of heroes of faith, I made a list this morning to myself of, of not the great things they have done, but where they have failed. Sarah doubted God. Abraham lied about his wife. Noah got drunk. Moses murdered. Joseph was full of pride. Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob, a deceiver. Gideon was a coward. I think I might fit into that category of those people but they all hung on to the promise and they followed what God had promised, the promise. And it lists them by faith. By faith, Abraham, Moses. By faith, Jeremy and Darcy moved to Columbia nearly four years ago. By faith, we give of our finances and we tithe. By faith, 22 people set out on a mission to El Salvador and had to raise each $1,650. By faith, we're believing for God to erase the deficit and the debt of Christian Chapel. By faith, we're believing 
We can impact a college campus of 30,000 American and international students. By faith, we're believing that we can change a city that's right in the heart, the center of this great nation. By faith, we're believing that God is choosing us to do something significant in our world by faith. How are you walking by faith today? What do you need to walk by faith in? That's the question. So let me break it down for you one more way. Faith, definition, it's a partnership with God. It's a partnership with God, me and him. And you know who's always faithful to do their part? Him. That's what faith is. It's looking forward. It's believing God, his character and his promises. It's taking one more step. It's partnering with God. It's by faith that you believe that when you get the bad report on the medical report, you believe past the promise of healing. And you believe the promise of Jesus. You get to the point where you pray, God, you are. You are. You're greater. Greater than any promise I could receive on this world. This is what the great heroes were commended for. They looked past this world and they saw the promise of the reality to come. It's hard to live by faith, right? Because we place our confidence and our assurance in the wrong things. Believe in the promise. Believe God. Period. Whether the rest of your life is just a, a hot mess, right? I've heard that phrase a lot lately. Next 15, 20, 50 years of your life, even if it's all messy, God is, Right? Because at the end of the day, Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to die. I don't want to die, but not my will. Yours be done. And Jesus knew God had the power to save him from that. There was a promise that God could. But Jesus didn't receive that promise. Jesus died. He didn't get that promise. You read that story, right? Jesus dies in the end. His prayer is not answered. He has to suffer and he had to die. You ever been there? God doesn't answer your prayer. Jesus been there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He believed in the promise. After three days, boom, rise again that's the promise you need to hang on to that's the promise you need to hang on to would you stand with me this morning as we close our time together in worship we're just going to sing a simple chorus give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and that your love is great that's the greatest promise ever